into the Step to the Mic podcast. Monica McNutt here with Chris Miles, Ted Jeffries, and Dino Campbell. Typically, the focus of our pod is sports related, but we wanted to take a moment out in the midst of so much going on in our nation that in particular affects people that look like us here, myself a Black woman surrounded by three accomplished Black men. As you may know, uh, the killing of George Floyd while in police custody in Minneapolis followed the death of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, and has lit our country on fire, sadly, quite literally, in major metropolises across the nation. Guys, we are seeing protests, resistance, in some, case, van some cases vandalism and looting that we have not quite seen at this magnitude in response to something that sadly continues to reoccur in our country. I think this is also highlighted by how many athletes and not just athletes of color are making it a point to get involved with the conversation and the need for reform in our country. I don't know if not having sports is a good thing in this moment, but something about this feels different. And I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but Chris, when you look at the headlines and sit and watch the pressers coming from the Oval Office, what all is going through your mind? Um, you know, I was reluctant to even do this podcast with everyone because I was so angry the past couple of days. And when you ask that question, I try to think of how I feel now, where I've had a chance to, to really think about it and take a step back and look at it. And I would say this sentence subs, sums it up for me. In my lifetime, this is the worst week in American history. And I interned in the World Trade Center. I'm from New York. 9-11 was that for me before this. But I try to take a step back and think, okay, there's one thing for us as Black people and how we feel about something. But I think to see leadership be so disrespectful to who we are as a people, to disrespect religion the way that... Um, 45 did. I, I just, I wouldn't have imagined at any point that I would see someone be so brazen and so blatant when people are protesting peacefully to incite violence and to lie to the public so often. Um, I think personally, I feel like this is the worst week in my lifetime in American history. Mm. That sums it up for me. Ted? You know, Monica, I will, I will echo Chris's statements. This is our generation's Emmett Teal moment. This is our generation's uh, watch riots and DC riots after the Martin Luther King shooting. This is our generation's version of those incidents. And I can't say all wrapped up in one because they're all, you know, different in their own way. But this is a very defining moment for African-Americans. And, you know, for, for myself, as I thought about the passing and the ultimate murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis last week, you know, for at first, we've seen this so many times. It's been commonplace where we almost become immune to it. But when I actually sat and watched the entire video, it brought something dark out of me, you know, that I can't say that I've ever felt before. I think, you know, you try to deny some of those feelings, but the, the feeling of being exhausted about seeing the disregard for human life, to hear that man cry for his life, that, that broke me. That broke my spirit. And I think, 
you're seeing that all over the country. Our spirits have been broken by this one man and this, and it's almost in an eerie way is him thumbing his nose at the whole Kaepernick kneeling as if to say, oh, you want to kneel? You want to kneel and disrespect white folks? You want to disrespect our flag? This is me kneeling on you, showing you I'll give you something to kneel about. It was so disrespectful. It was so heartless. Um, and obviously, I don't condone what's going on with the looting and the, the negative aspects of what this should be about. But I'm glad to see athletes stepping up, using their platform, speaking on behalf where traditionally a lot of older generation athletes were hesitant to do so. And even now you're seeing the Michael Jordans and the Tiger Woods even um, posting statements. So it's good that they're using their platforms. Uh, I'm hoping for a positive outcome, meaning that this, these officers, these bad apples, uh, are, are brought to justice and, and the family, the Lloyd family gets justice that they so well deserve. You know, you know, I spent this week doing a lot of reflecting. And so I had mentioned this to Ted, I guess, on one of the other podcasts that we had done. But it took me back to 1974. Um, 1974 was the first time that I really started to get an understanding what my parents had taught to me about racism. In 1974, I was an 11-year-old young kid playing on a Boys and Girls Club baseball team at the time. And the baseball coach wanted to have an end-of-season pool party for the baseball team. Uh, it's here located in Lanham. That's where I grew up. So I'm not going to mention the name of the pool and all that stuff. There's no need for it. But bottom line is the coach had to call ahead to the swimming pool to find out if Blacks could swim in their swimming pool. There's a public pool. This is 1974. This is when I really started to get a feel for what I was going to have to go through for, obviously, the rest of my life. I go back even further. My parents never really learned how to swim because they were never allowed in a swimming pool. They went to, if anybody's familiar with Crybaby Bridge, which is right down here off of, uh, off of La Vista Road, the, the quote unquote, the neighborhood blacks used to have to go to the little creek that runs underneath Crybaby Bridge to figure out how to get wet and cool off in the summertime. It was never deep enough to swim, so you just kind of wallowed in the muddy water. Now, I circle back to this year. Night, this is 2020. I'm just talking about personal things. My, I'm at a high school football game, um, scouting a game. It's the middle of the fourth quarter, and I'm going to leave. Um, so I'm walking towards the gate, and one of the guys I knew was over by the gate. And there was a, a, a chair there. So I sat down. We we're going to kick it for a couple minutes. And I remember this like it was yesterday. The phone went, rang. It was 9.03. So it's 9.03 p.m. I look down. I see my daughter's name on the phone. I answer the phone. She's sobbing. I can literally hear her trembling on the telephone. And now my daughter's five hours away at Elon University. I can't get to her right now. She's five hours away. She's trembling on the phone. 
I got to get through 30 seconds of trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And I come to find out that she was pulled over. You know why she was pulled over? They were trying to find out if she was a citizen of this great country that we live in. I literally could have blew up the freaking place I was in. She's 20 years old. She's 20. Hasn't started her life yet. And God knows what could have happened if she would have just said the wrong thing. In Burlington, North Carolina, this is what we're talking about. So this whole thing with George, uh, uh, George uh, Floyd and all the others who have come before him is such a black eye on this country that has still not embraced the fact that our original sin has never been uh, addressed to the point to where we are standing here today, where the country's burning down, where the the world that that the rest of the world is in protest and we have a a president who walked in front of a church to hold up a bible for a picture and gassed u.s citizens to do so this is where we are in this country right now and so i just spent the last two days actually it was today today is wednesday the last three days talking to my high school football team and working through their, the situation that 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old young men are dealing with right now in this trying time that we live here in the United States. And we will do that for the remainder of the week and for the remainder of the season. And they are the next generation that can affect change. So that's what we're talking to them about now. I just got a phone call from one of my young players. He's down at the Capitol right now. He's like, Coach, I told you we're going to make a difference. So that's where we are right now. Yeah. Um, so much anger, so many emotions to process. I will say that this is the first time that something like this has happened in our country. And I have had folks that I work with who are not, who don't look like me and cannot speak to the experience of being Black in this country, reach out with sympathy, empathy, confusion in some cases, but genuinely ask, what can I do? So I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. What? Because just like the civil rights movement led by Dr. King, it does not work when it's just us. It requires some allies to stand in with us. So Chris, I see you ready, what you got? Well, because Monica, it, it's crazy again, when we discussed doing this podcast, so many things were happening at that same time that were bringing up so many emotions for me that what you just said is, I lived in Bluefield, West Virginia for three years. I lived in Roanoke, Virginia for four more years. And in that time, if you're familiar with that part of the country, um, things are said blatantly. Like that was the first time in my life that I was called the N-word to my face, very casually. And then it was said to me in a way of like, oh, you speak very well on television as a compliment. And someone said, and I'm like, they think that that's how you're supposed to communicate with someone like me just because my skin is. So one of uh, my coworkers was an anchor. I'm going to leave her name out of this discussion for obvious reasons. But when Kaepernick happened, she just, I'm a military brat. That's her thing. I'm a military brat. I don't, what do you, you can't, you know, disrespect the flag. I'm like a flag over a person dying. We went back and forth for two years on this subject and we still maintain a relationship. She voted for Donald Trump. We argued about that. 
And it's just like one of those things where we weren't the same friends that we were before those incidents. Well, she called me and she said, you know, I was wrong. I should have listened to you. So for someone like that, and I received two or three other phone calls from people that completely did not listen to me when I said that there's an issue. And I could go into my own personal accounts of issues I've had with police. I mean, I was seven years old the first time I'm playing basketball in Harlem and they hemmed us all up. Seven years old, patting us down. Where's the crack? What do you mean? I don't even know what that is. Think about what that does to your psyche and what that does to who you think you are and what you can become. So I think that this discussion needs to be had, but I think more importantly, there needs to be reform in legislation. But when you, when you say your coworkers or people you dealt with, I do think we're seeing a turn in the mindset of before it was, oh, we've elected Barack Obama. We've come so far. Mm -hmm. That narrative has now changed in a different way where I think a lot of non-Black people, I'll say it that way, understand that we, we do have a problem. Yeah. Like black people are not just speaking up about things that do not exist. This is real. Yeah. This is 400 years worth. That is very real. Um, Ted, well, how would you advise? And it's a tough question because even as black people, what do we do? What do we do, Ted? I mean, I don't think any of us have the answers and we're not going to solve tomorrow's problems today. But I think it does start, as Chris talked about, we have to make certain that we show up and vote. If anybody saw Killer Mike's address to the citizens of Atlanta, he couldn't have been more poignant and powerful in his address. And it said, he said, you know, go back, plan, plot, organize. But you have to start at your, your, your local, state, and federal um, representatives. You have to press forward and press them and hold your, hold your vote when they come by and ask you for your vote. No, I'm not giving you your vote unless this is an initiative that you are going to see through. And I'm going to follow through and press you. And I'm going to get our, our residents of, uh, of Prince George's County, of the state of Maryland, of the United States, to press you on these issues to make certain that we, won outlaw choking for police and that type of above-the-neck type of uh, accosting of our citizens, that should be outlawed. You know, until we start seeing some type of, you know, the only way you're really going to affect change is, is affect the money, the, the, how money comes in. If police officers, and, and I hate saying this because, I don't hate saying this, let me take that back. I, for the good cops, this won't make a difference. Because if things are in place that say, if you run afoul of, the, of these restrictions, it's not going to affect the good cops because they're policing the right way. But for those who are finding themselves in them compromising positions where they have to think, all right, do I shoot this black man or do I, or am I risking feeding my family? Because one, I'm going to lose my job Two, potentially I could use, lose my pension. And then three end up in jail for a long stint. We've got to serve these these police officers and hold them accountable. We've got to change the relationship between the district attorneys and the police departments because they are working in hand in hand. And it should be something that's done fairly, but obviously they are taking care of one another. So, you know, we've got to change some rules systemically to change this, this, uh, the outcomes of what happens when innocent African-Americans are being killed and cut down with no regard for their life, no regard for their family 
or who they are. As a black man raising a 10-year-old son, that is one of my biggest fears. And I had to sit down and talk to him. No, excuse me, I said 13-year-old son, excuse me. And I had to sit down and talk to him and try to explain to him what is going on on a daily basis and how no matter how much your family around you loves you, there are people out there who won't give, give two cents about who you are, what you have uh, you know, going on for yourself, what you can accomplish, what you will be. They will off you in a second if given the opportunity. Well said, said Dino. What a, I mean, you talked about one of your players being a part of the protest downtown, coach, father, black women in America. What do we do? I kind of echo what Ted a little bit. What Ted says, we're not going to solve this this problem tonight. Obviously, this is 400 years of history, but a, a couple things come to mind uh, right away. One, okay, so we've we've all been involved in sports, some one way or the other. We've been on a team or you know participated, whether it be high school, college, whatever it may be. There isn't one of us that doesn't know who the bad apple is on the team. If there was a bad apple on the team, you knew exactly who he was. You cannot convince me that that isn't the exact same thing happening in the police force. Mm -hmm. You can't convince me that isn't the case because they're on the team here. But the problem is you can't get those folks to step up, black, white, Chinese, I don't care who they are. If there's a bad apple, bad apples need to be removed from the equation. And that starts in-house. That starts in-house. That starts with the police officers who know that X, Y, or Z is a bad cop. My, uh, you know, I have police officers in my family. And so they have to do a better job policing their own. There isn't one of us who's played on a team that would put up with a guy or a gal who's bringing the team down. Why? Because we want to be successful. We want the team to be great. If you want the police force to be great, then the bad apples have to be weeded out. Where can that start? With the guys, the rest of the folks who are on the team. Second, you have to vote. And not only vote, you have to actually do your research and then vote. You have to be involved somehow or another in your community in reference to any type of community meetings, especially that are, are, that are, are associated with any other policing that goes on within your neighborhood. And if at all possible, you need to get to know the police who are actually within your neighborhood, the patrol police officers and those that can affect change within their ranks. That's kind of where I am on that. I mean, there's obviously a lot more to it, but again, I'll go back to where I started. You can't convince me that bad cops, or excuse me, that good cops don't know who the bad ones are. They know exactly who they are. Yeah. And so they need to step up. Um, yeah, I, that's a very powerful point, Dino, especially when news trickles down that Officer Chauvin had 18 priors in terms of misconduct and that the, the police officer or the police commissioner rather in Louisville who shot a protester or was responsible for that squad is the same person that was not held accountable for the murder of Breonna Taylor. Um, guys, all fantastic points. Uh, this is definitely not a problem that gets solved right now. I know I have answered, particularly people not of color, be a real ally and understand that that's going to cost. It has literally cost the life of Black Americans to fight just to be treated like American citizens and for people to be held accountable for the mistreatment of us. And so to my allies, I have said the same thing, Ted. I mean, Dino, excuse me. 
hold those people accountable. You know what stereotypes and what conversations you all are having in your communities that I'm still not welcoming. So hold them accountable if you are a true ally and want to see change in this country, because this is not a Black America issue. This is an America issue. And until it is viewed that way, little change will be made. But gentlemen, tough subject. The beauty of getting through tough combos like this is you have people who you trust and admire and who you know are thoughtful on it. So I appreciate you all. Um, we're all looking forward to a much better and brighter. Can I say one more thing? Go for it, Chris. I miss Barack Obama. There, I said it. <laughs> That's it. That's. I mean, I just got to make sure you guys, you've, you've seen me stand for him before on this podcast. If you know anyone that's ever met him, they are a superhero to me. And we are seeing why I feel that way yet again. But I miss Barack Obama. That's it. That's it. I always have to remind everyone how I feel about that. I think we can drop the mic there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let, let us not forget, you know, we lost a, a great one today. Uh, uh, a great Washington bullet. For those of us who are old enough to remember the bullets, you see Chris sporting the number of 41. I've got the 50th anniversary shooter shirt right here framed up. Uh, West Sunset, one of the greatest to to ever lace them up for the Washington franchise. Did so much for this city. Actually brought us our championship, I believe, in 78. So uh, God rest him and, and bless his family. Uh, let, let, uh, let, let them know that we are thinking about them all right now during this time. Indeed. Well said, Ted. Needed to uh, finish up on that note. Chris, Ted, Dino, as always, thanks for stepping to the mic, y'all. It is such a tremendous journey and such wonderful dialogue being a part of this conversation, even when we take um, out time like this to pivot from sports. Mm -hmm.